friends welcome back to operation opera elise and i had a lovely follow-up conversation because there were so many ideas after we spoke with uh, conductor stephen p brown so it might be a good idea to listen to episode 22 prior to this one just so you can have a little bit of context for some of the ideas that we discussed enjoy yeah i was like wait so how much am i worth like how we we talked about this what is it so oh he, yeah like so he says never ever this is something that we didn't talk about on the podcast, but um, it's something he t- he talks about in his webinar and something that we talked about on the phone too before when I did my breakthrough call with him. Um, never, ever perform for free. And beyond that, um, charge a high fee. <laughs> and in you, st- you set, when you book venues, you set the standard high and there's specific language that he, with his coaching program, there's specific language he teaches you in order to sell yourself and believe, like set it up to where it's, it's clear that you're worth that much, you know, and as performers, yeah, <laughs> singing for the critics, <laughs> chasing perfection. I don't know how much I'm worth. Am I worth this much? Maybe like a dollar. I don't know. <laughs> Will you pay for my parking and my, you know, and my, uh, what else? Yeah. I end up, right. I feel like. Oh man. So, so this is what I don't, did you have a chance to watch his webinar by any chance? I didn't watch the webinar. I just read through some of his material. Okay. Yeah. So, so you should, when you have a chance, you should watch the webinar just when you, when you have a free moment, because what he talks about is like, when you think about it, Rachel, we, we wait around for someone else to pick us and to validate us and say, you're worth hearing in this specific role that someone else is willing to produce, you know, we're, we're willing to do this opera and you can fill this role. And so it's like, we're begging to be given any opportunity. It's just, it's just wretched. Right. And then then, (laughs) then on the flip side of that, right. You think about being able to create your own performing opportunities where you perform the music that you love the most. And the fact that you're performing the music that you love the most means that you're giving that to your audience. You're giving that extreme amount of enjoyment that you feel when you perform your music and that love of that music, you're giving that to the, that experience. And I know you're about giving people experiences, Rachel, but you're giving that experience to your audience. And why do you want to give them the experience of this is the only job I could get, you know? And so I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm putting my heart into it, but it's not really what I want to be doing. It's just the only thing that someone would pay me to do or, you know, if they would even, you know what I mean? So lots of, lots of stuff there. Well, it's interesting. Like, I still don't know if I completely understand or agree with what he said about, you know, making a connection with an audience. (laughs) Uh, did you like how I, I basically was like, yeah, no, I don't believe you. Um, I know. I was Rachel, don't offend our guest, please. I, I could, I could sense it was like, there were little like explosions of flames in certain areas. I was like, let's just, let's just get this. I'm, I'm getting out the, getting out the fire extinguisher. I'm just going to like, try to like take this down a notch. 
I hope I wasn't rude. Was I rude? I wasn't. Trying. No, you weren't. But I know how you are. It's true. When you feel strongly about, about something, something, you it's feel true. strongly about it. It's not like you're going to change your mind in a five second conversation. It's true. So yeah, I'm, and and he also is the same way. You it's know what true. I mean? He has his opinions that he feels strongly about, and so it was sort of like this meeting of of the two <laughs> different the two ram heads of opinions. You know, and I mean rams in like the most complimentary way. Yes. Because. Because you're, you know, your opinions are well-formed, both of you. And um, anyway, I just thought that you were diametrically, op- I, I thought it was interesting that you were diametrically opposed. Yes, and it was it's little- fascinating. Because I really do feel like I love, I love being able to, be, I love being able to have a separation because it allows me a certain kind of freedom. Like, it allows me to truly immerse myself in a character and allows me to actually commit to ideas and thoughts and that that aren't my own and in that way but but i i guess i guess often that isn't the case when you go and i mean i feel it's often when i go and see someone perform something that is you know old and tired um or a role that is has been you know invented what's in what? What's an example of that? <laughs> You're oh. Going to see someone who's performing well, something that's old and tired. No, just I mean. Wait, I know it. I know it. I know. Wait. What? Wait. Go ahead. You go, and then I'll say. I my mean, thing. how many the bazillions of operas that we've gone to, and and it's just like, oh, here she goes again. You know. What about these Broadway shows that have been performed for years and years and years? That, like, I was appalled. I'm sure I've already told you this story when I went to see Phantom of the Opera for research because I was going for a final audition with the entire creative team for Phantom on Broadway. And I was like, you know what, let's just go see what their current Carlotta's up to. And just, and so I got to the theater and it was of course filled with tourists who were all wearing baseball caps and fanny packs with baggy jeans and all this situation, which, you know, in New York, when you're, when you're a New Yorker, you've been there, Rachel, you've been a New Yorker. You should wear black all the time. You're (laughs) not, you're just not used to, you know, seeing people in that amount. Um, but, but there at the theater, they were all there. They were all from the Midwest or other places, you know, and they were there to see Phantom of the Opera. Now I'm getting really critical of people from the Midwest. I was just in Kansas yesterday and they were delightful and I really loved it. Anyway, um, <laughs> my point being that speaking of old and tired, I didn't really like anything about that production. The Carlotta was actually kind of fabulous. I was like, Ooh, yeah, she's good. Um, um, all the other characters sounded like they were either struggling or just hated their lives that they had to do eight shows a week of this, or they just it's done it for hard, too long man. kind of dialing it in or, and I was contract. Like, well, yeah, I guess so. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I thought to myself, this is really like, when I think about the talents that I've seen, even at a university level, um, of singers and, and, you know, like MDT kind of people, music, dance, theater people. Um, I was like, this is really the best Christine that they could find. Like how many thousands upon thousands of young singers who are very talented want this role. And yet this is the person. But the thing is that could be no reflection on her actual talent. She might've just been really tired of singing that role. Because she did it so much. But also if we go back to what Mr. Stephen P. Brown was saying, yeah. Is that in the end, it doesn't matter because there were people in the seats, right? 
There were people in the seats that were willing Dis- to pay. Disagree, though. Okay, okay, so this is one. It, so I feel like we kind of built the outline of the puzzle. You know, I felt like we did a pretty good job of like doing the borders. But I feel like our conversation with him still like has a lot of missing pieces. Like we need to like fill in the middle, the center of the puzzle is, you know what I mean? But I feel like that's not, that's not exactly true. It, the, the objective isn't just filling the seats. That's a part of it. But I, as an audience member, did not feel connected to the music or to the performers in any way. But maybe that's because it was a sea of faces. Maybe the theater was too big. Maybe, I don't know, but for me, well, I, I did mean, not feel any connection. Actually, the masquerade scene was pretty cool because they have that big chandelier and stuff. Um, sure, because but that's entertainment and that's spectacle, yes, right? Yes, and that and yes, exactly. when you know that that's what you're in for, then that's what you're in for. And often with Broadway shows, there's a lot of spectacle. But like, I'm thinking, this made me think about Anthem. And one of my big things with Anthem, the show that I produced a couple years ago when we were off Broadway, was... Um, Broadway, off, off Broadway, <laughs> um, was that I wanted to make sure, and I was nervous about the um, space we were performing in because it was so open, because it was, I mean, it was just so big, and there wasn't that sense of connection. I wanted, I mm. wanted to be able to see everyone. I wanted there to be, you know, that sense of like, look, we're up here singing these stories about real people who fought in real wars or who lost people in real wars. And, and it could be your family. It could have been your friends. And if you are too separate, then, then you won't necessarily feel that. So I do, I totally get that. Um, Yeah. I saw that speaking of Anthem, I saw it both um, at the, at that black box sort of theater in yeah. American Fork. Yeah. And then also in New York at the French festival, um, at that, or in the, it was in the Bowery. I'm trying to remember somewhere down there. Um, yeah. and I, I did feel, well, I mean, there was a very different feeling to the spaces. Um, yeah. but I did, I did like the intimacy of the, of the smaller venue needs to be intimate. That piece needs to be performed in an intimate venue. Because yeah. if it's not, then you don't, you, you won't feel the impact of the pieces as much. Now, let's say that you're familiar with the pieces. Let's say, you know, they become a part of the musical theater zeitgeist, which would be awesome. Um, mm-hmm. And then you go and see the show and maybe it doesn't make as big of a difference if you're in a large space, because then you're already connected to the work itself. Um but then it goes back to this, you know, part of the conversation with Stephen is that you're then connected to the work and not to the person. Mm, like Bohem. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. So we were driving around in Italy a few days ago. And while we were there, we, we pulled up some Sinatra because um, our friend who was with us had never heard him. And we thought, well, this needs to change. So we What part of up, Italy were you in? Uh, Tuscany. Oh, yeah. I love Tuscany. Oh, it was, it was, it was kind of amazing. Yeah. Mm, I bet. Yeah, I loved it. But um, while we were driving around listening to this, I was like, my gosh, this music is so cheesy. Like, and the, <laughs> the critic in me is just like listening to this. But then on one side, I'm like, it's so cheesy. And then on the other side, I'm like, but you know what? It's like he's your buddy. And then he's just singing to you about the good old times, you know, yeah. about like, I mean, the rhymes sometimes are, are quite a stretch, uh, but it doesn't matter. But he didn't because... write that. He didn't write those words. 
No, but he sold them. Tell you what. Yes, he did. You know, and, and he was a master with language for sure. Yes. And that's, and I think maybe that's, well, and, and I, I, I couldn't get over how many songs he was singing that were actually written for women. Like, and, <laughs> and just change changing it, it changing uh -huh. the lyric. And I was like, and this is one of the reasons, you know, this, these are the songs that girls would learn and sing about the boys that they're pining for. And yet here he is singing these songs about the girl he's pining for. And of course that girl is me because of course, right. As the audience, you're listening to it and you're like, Oh, he's singing about He's me. singing to me. Yep. And I don't know. I, yeah. So thinking about that with what he, with what Stephen was talking about, about connecting to your audience by singing something that is you, but I feel like I mm. am so intense. Yes. You know what I mean? This is what came to my mind too, Rachel. Yes. But you also said to me fairly recently that this summer we're going to record some folk music. We are. And, and I think there's a place for that. So I've shared this before. I'm almost positive, but I did a holiday concert back when I was in graduate school or maybe the year after I graduated when I was still in Utah where, um, it was, it was, I can't actually remember the connection, but someone asked me to do a, a holiday recital up in Honeyville, which is near Brigham city. Mm. And, um, I put together this concert was, which was like normal for me. It included, um, classical music and it included more popular music or jazz standards. And, um, it was interesting to me, the contrast between singing the first half, which was the heavier stuff, the classical stuff, the older stuff. And then the second half, which was all sort of these holiday favorites, you know, sleigh ride and silver bells and all, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I felt like, like the sensation that I had was that there was fluff coming out of my mouth. It, it really felt, not like a dry feeling, but just like, just like as the words and the music. and the, even the fluff was pouring <laughs> out of my mouth. No, it was like floofs, like actual, like. Like, think, like clouds, you were like Dr. seeing Suits, clouds. Like, yeah, it was like, like as I was singing, whereas before on the first half of the concert, I had sung Handel and um, Fauret and even even contemporary composers, but who compose in more classical style, like like um, a Lawrence Lyon. And it was just like there was substance there. There was for whatever reason. And then when I went to the other music, which I also love just that having that contrast, there was even an intermission in between, um, the two halves. Uh, but the contrast that I immediately felt when I started seeing that music was like, this is fluff. Like this music is fluff. And, um, and this is something that I wanted, I was hoping to get into more with, with Stephen P. Brown and we didn't quite have time. Um, but sort of like the Andre Ryu, the reason why I've never been a fan is that it just felt fluffy to me even though it's classical, a lot of it, or it's kind of popra, right? It's kind of that, that Andrea Bocelli in between sort of, um, I don't, I don't mean to sound snobbish when I say this, but I probably will. It's like the dumbing down of classical music, but and I'm not saying that people who enjoy it are dumb. That's not what I'm trying to say. I think what you're trying to say is that a lot of 
classical music or what people think of as classical music sort of, you know, out in the world at large when it comes to like singers who sing classical music um, in the sort of stadium experience, you know, the, as you said, the Andre, Andre Reuse or um, or Andrea Bocelli, Andrea who I Bocelli. performed with in, in Las Vegas for an audience of 14,000, I think it was. There you go. Or yeah. the Andrea Bocelli is like, there is a sense of it being the, just, it's just such the tip of the iceberg of what is available, both musically and artistically. And so in some ways, when we hear it, we feel, we feel so anxious to have more, like to have mm. it be deeper, to have it be, um, be something that where the music will sing in such a way that, that like you are actually speechless. Um, and I think yeah. that we, we, when we've studied something for a long time, we, we look at it differently. You just will, right? You you yeah. will you will look at it differently. You will hear it differently. You know, it's like what you were talking about your husband being an oil painter, and he's able to look at a at a piece and talk about how it's formed. We can do that with music, mm-hmm. and when you can analyze something, you know, when you look at something or when you hear something, in our case, and you can break it down into all of the different elements that have made up what it is it's uh it's it's a different experience it's 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 like when you cook i feel like when you cook everybody else who eats your meal will experience it differently than you Hmm. at least this is the case for me like when i cook i'm like oh i have a little too much salt or oh i didn't add enough salt that time or you know what i did cook the noodles just a little bit too long or this chicken is just a little dry right so like Mm -hmm. i will go through and i will sort of catalog in my mind okay this needed to be a little different i could have done that it's very Mm -hmm. technical and um and i think a lot of these performers that we've been talking about it just feels even though it's very very produced their specific performances as artists feel very um, raw. And Mm. classical music has become something that in some ways abhors being raw. We we don't like Mm. it. We want it to be totally baked to perfection, right? It's this perfectionist idea. And yet, yes, yes, I do. And I love that, that idea. But and yet, when you were talking about Maria Callas, which she came to mind for me too, um, she was kind of the Edith Piaf of the opera world, right? Absolutely. She like let herself bleed on stage. She was very raw mm-hmm. and very, she let us feel her pain. I mean, we could feel it just in her tone quality, right? Yes. But she also arguably did not have a happy personal life and did not feel per, um, particularly connected to her audience or to, you know, who knows, to other people. She died fairly young you know, and, um, I, I don't know. So she went, she was part of a different era as, as he mentioned. Well, I didn't um, quite understand what that meant. Okay. Yeah, so he was what, talking about her being from a different time and I'm like, okay, so she was around in the fifties, but people have always wanted the same things, right? We've always wanted connection. We've always wanted. I, and so, yeah, I didn't understand. I, so what that meant. 
Yes, these are more of the missing pieces, which we may be talking about this for weeks to come. It's possible because I feel like this is a puzzle that is worth fleshing out. Um, and it may take us, you know, we may have to ruminate and then come back and talk about it some more. But what I understood from, from what he said about it being a different era is simply that when she was singing in the fifties and sixties, um, it, it was, they, there was radio and there was television as well during that time. But people, when they went to a live concert, it was the symphony, it was the opera. It wasn't, um, like today where, um, we've sort of, we sort of have the opportunity to do more at a grassroots level and to sort of fractionalize into, you know, these smaller venues, like he's saying 50 people. Um, and we can get the word out fairly simply because of the internet and they didn't have the internet back then. We can also, you know, have samples of our work on the internet, you know, and, and like there are just so many, um, we're connected in different ways because of the, the digital age and the information age than they were back then. And so that was kind of all that was available was this larger venue, um, larger scale works less often, you know, so like going to the symphony or the opera a couple of times a year, or, you know, maybe a handful of times if you're lucky, um, or not at all, because it just wasn't available to that many people. But it was a different, it was a different age. The possibilities were different back then. So you would glam on to something, even though it was more abstract, because it was just different. Because it was your entertainment. Well, I, good question. I think this because is kind I of... just feel like she has such amazing staying power. Right. Absolutely. Like when I, mean, I when I talk. hear when I hear some of these recordings, especially during sort of the, her golden age, you know, I'm just like I stop and I just I'm like drop the mic, man. Like done. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like what was that? Who are yeah. you? And and yeah, when it's I, commitment for sure. Yeah, and when and maybe that's what it is for me is like this idea of commitment because so often we hem and haw over our own interpretation because we've been told so many times like no that's wrong or no this is right or like it's so interesting today I had a lesson today and last week I brought this piece that I had just started working on and I hadn't looked at it very much and I'd been away and I was like oh man we're gonna work on this in my lesson that's great um but we worked on it and like I I, I got all of these compliments like my teacher was like this is perfect for you. Like there's such feeling here. There's such understanding here. Like your interpretation is incredible. Like all of this stuff. And I was like, well, well, yeah. Um, and that was the Werther Werther uh -huh. piece. And like, yeah. And so then this week <laughs> I worked. <laughs> Wait, that was good though. You were, why were you so mad about receiving those comments? Oh no, 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 no. It was, it was great. It was just that, I I always take criticism and compliments. I try and take them at about the same level, which is, we'll see. Because it's a process, right? And mm -hmm. every day is a little different. So I'm not just going to be like, yeah, sweet, got that one in the bag, you know? <laughs> like, um, yeah. it, was, it was more like, this is where I am today. And and what was so interesting is that my raw interpretation of that piece, I think, was actually better than my sort of half learned that I have this week 
which is I've spent a lot more time trying to make sure my timing is right, trying to make sure I'm actually, you know, recognizing, um, you know, putting in certain kinds of accents in certain places or like making sure I'm doing my, my um, uh, dynamics more correctly. But in that, I came out of the emotional arc. And, mm. and so all of a sudden it was like, no, 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 like this, no, no, no. You know, and there were all of these things that weren't there anymore. And, and, you know, these, these comments like, you know, what does this phrase actually mean? And I'm like, I know what that phrase means because I just know. <laughs> and, and yet I wasn't living through it in that moment. Mm. And yeah. in some ways it's because it's just too hard. Like, but at the same time, it kind of has to be done in order for it to, to ring true and to actually offer something unique and beautiful. Um, yeah. And, and so it was just an interesting sort of thing. And so sort of trying to put that together with what, what we've been chatting about tonight, about this idea that performance has to be uh, something where it truly is you because you are the only unique thing, right? And this is something we've talked about a lot. You are the only uh-huh. unique thing you contribute to the world. So who are you? What are you? What makes yeah. you different? What makes you, you know, what makes you tick? So. And who are you when you are consumed by self-doubt and fear? Or, yeah, and in this case for me, it was like, who are you when you're just concentrating on the nuts and bolts? Well, I'll tell you what, mm-hmm. it's pretty boring. Tell you that much. You're a robot. Yeah, it's not really Robot Rachel. Robot Rachel is not cool. <laughs> Reporting for duty. Yeah, and then when I just, you know, would sort of let those things go and then just relax into the interpretation of it it just sort of like flows out of me and more like it just kind of like falls out of me yeah um, uh, yeah the thing is it really is like an olympic sport um and the thing that nick malice said about it being like um like professional sports and really it's just the very best of the best like you can be very athletic and never make it as a professional um uh athlete but um, it's the same thing also in operas. It's just very competitive. And, um, anyway, but I'm sticking to it. I haven't given up yet. And I went to this audition this weekend and it was interesting because, um, and I apologize if this is TMI. Um, but I thought that it was going to be perfect with my cycle, my female cycle. Because oh no. And it was right. It's a factor, right. With the voice. It totally and, is. And so last month I was especially like, okay, the, the day before be and the day after, especially the day of and the day after. I mean, there are companies that won't let you sing if you are within this a certain window of your cycle because your cords thicken as as other tissue also thickens and then it releases. Right? Sorry. Right. And so right. it it can be a it can be a real challenge to to phonate without a sense of heaviness. Yeah. 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 Both audibly and physically. So, so yeah. So I thought that it was, I like last month I was like, perfect. This is going to time out great with my flight to Wichita and you know, I'll, I'll be wrapped up with all that by the time I go. And so it'll be perfect. Well, things were late. And so it ended up being the day of the audition was my day one. Yay. And so, and yes, there was sort of a heaviness and a thickness. It also had been really dusty the day before. They hadn't had rain in a long time. And then it rained the the morning of the audition or maybe the night before. I don't know exactly when. But anyway, so it was a very rainy day. And Anyway, all of these factors combined with my 
not complete confidence in my ability to do those, you know, do the high notes and come rain or come shine. My, I had a teacher once who said, you have to choose your audition aria as something that you could parachute out of a plane, land on the ground and sing immediately. Like it's something that just has to be ready no matter what. It's like this bulletproof thing that you're just a machine and you just I go out there and you that do it. No that matter. is not helpful. <laughs> go well, on. but the idea behind it, you know, is just that it it's, should be sure, something. Sure, sure. I had a teacher that was like, you have to prepare 110% because when you sing, it's going to be 80. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. yeah, and similar. And I had really been busting my butt, and I had prepared the four arias from the four roles that I was auditioning for for those two seasons, for those four operas. And, um, and it was a stretch already. I knew it was, but then sort of having those odds against me. I, I still went out and decided I'm going to start with my hardest aria, um, which is No Medir. Uh, and so I, from, from Don Giovanni, um, Don Anna's aria. Sorry, I'm just giving a little background for those. No, it's good. It's good. What no Medir is. Um, Basically, and, she's uh, a chick that's really distraught because her dad's just been killed and she was raped. <laughs> Go on. And maybe that was the first time that she ex had ever experienced passion in her life because Don Ottavio is a cold fish, her fiance. Yeah, except when he sings Danes Wopace and then you realize he's just really a wonderfully sensitive soul. Sorry. He's just a big teddy bear. He's yeah, just, for he's sure. He's just but they don't actually always do so, so sweet and wonderful and kind. Oh, oh he's all of those her. things. I'm yeah. just saying maybe not passionate. But also maybe not passionate, which is kind yeah. of a bummer. Yeah. Sorry, go on. So, <laughs> so I went out on the stage, and I was sort of immediately transported back to Airfort for some reason. I think, I guess it, there's some similarity between the configuration of the Century Two Performing Arts Center in Wichita, Kansas, and the, the Opera Theater in Airfort, Germany, possibly. Maybe mm. not. Um and I started singing, and at the in the recit, the abbastanza per te mi parlamore. And she pops up to the B flat, and it's sort of this floaty, beautiful pianissimo thing. And it, I had to I had to try three times to get it out. And I was like looking at the panel, and I was like, I'm so sorry, this has never happened before. Mm. I don't know what's going on. And um. Anyway, I continued singing, and um, it just was not working like at all. Mm. It was it was like a nightmare. So, and they were very and gracious. Like, and I was and I was awake. <laughs> yeah, it was it was like a nightmare, but it was actually real life. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but um, Parvan Bakardiev, who's the artistic director there, um, was very gracious toward me, and he said you know, perhaps you're just not sufficiently warmed up. Why don't you go back to the practice room and take take a moment and come back and sing for us in 30 minutes or something? Oh, yeah. And I was like, thank you for being a human. Yeah. So, yeah. So he had some compassion on me and I went back to the practice room and um, decided after, honestly, after a lot of prayer, and calling my husband <laughs> to have him talk me off the ledge because I was really actually just about to run out into the rain and let like the rain and my tears combine on right. my cheeks. It's like that scene from the end of Shawshank ever. where he just stands there with his arms open <laughs> like, oh, I just crawled through a river of shit and now I'm standing, right? Like that's what it feels like. Sorry, go on. Yes, yes. It was that moment. 
but yeah, I just was like, what is going on in my life right now? And I think a lot of it was the, the high stakes of like, I bought this plane ticket. I spent $400 or well, plus you know, you're, plus. I mean, when you're at that time, by the way, it's emotionally, it's an emotionally charged time. I mean, women's I mean, cycles, it's no joke, man. Like yeah. ask any man or woman and they'll tell you. So yeah. we feel things really so, intensely in all these moments. Yeah. So so I knew once some calm returned into my body, I knew that I shouldn't sing Donanna, that I needed to let that be for another day. And I decided to sing Micaela instead. Oh, nice. Because um, that was one of the, yeah, they're doing Carmen, and that was one of the other arias that I had on my list. And the only note that I was like, it's a, it's, it could be questionable based on the circumstances I have just observed in it's my the, own singing the B natural, um, right, at the end. was the B natural exactly yeah. in the B section. So but you know what that um, B natural is just like, you know, dang you Bizet. Like, why is it there? It's a very, yeah. <laughs> it's a very interesting approach with the chromatic ascension and then to the G and then suddenly popping up to, and you know, to be, to be completely frank, um, most of the sopranos I've heard do it are just screaming that one out. They're yeah. just screaming it out there. Yeah, it is more of a scream than just, it is singing. Yeah, but just, she is kind of, I mean, Mikhail is kind of in this moment of like, I'm about to meet my nemesis and she's beautiful do? and yeah. my fiance is in love with her. And you know what I mean? It's like yeah. this real moment of like, she's when on she the sings, warpath. Ah, oh, she's like, ah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And she's like, I'm doing that. Yeah, exactly. I'm so doing this. Anyway, so, um, so, um, so yeah, so I, I start singing, everything feels good. It's fine. My middle voice is fine. It's really just above the second passaggio that's been affected by the, the circumstances, the extenuating circumstances. So, um, and really not even above the second passaggio. It's really just probably above a, or not even uh, actually, anyway, hard to say, but, um, so I'm singing, singing, singing and get to the B section. Blah, it's doing it. I'm doing it. And then get to the B natural. Oh, and he said to me before I started, he said, I don't want you to strain. So if you feel like you are going to strain, just don't sing. It's okay. And I was like, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. He's like, I don't want you to stress. So, <laughs> so I get to the B section and I'm going along and then the, the B natural comes and I'm just like, wow, my throat is like, uh, it's like a wooden peg. Like, I don't know what to do with it right now. It won't sing that note. So, and he was like, okay, thank you. Thank you very much. He said, you have a beautiful voice. I wish we could have heard it in its full form. Yeah. And I said, yeah, me too. So anyway, I, my experience with this, um, was that I was grateful that I did not run away with my tail between my legs after the first, um, try that ended up in this disaster. Um, and <laughs> it really gave me pause and it made me think a lot about the conversation I'd have with, had with Stephen P. Brown about recitals and about sort of singing the stuff I want to sing and spending my practice time working on the things that I'm passionate about, you know? Um, I mean, not that I don't love just drilling arias and just like drilling audition arias over and over and over again. So that when I have my you know, once in a blue moon audition, I can be ready <laughs> to parachute out of the plane and land and sing for them. Um, but it did, it just did make me think more about the meaning of this, you know, the meaning behind why we sing 
Like, why do we sing? And going back to the, the heaviness, right? The, you're an intense person, Rachel, I know. And that intense music is what fits you like a glove. But there's room for us to make this folk music recording in the summer. For and sure. There's room, there's no, for room sure. for us. Right, because there are a lot of people out there who want to connect with us on a level that is less intense. More human. And it's more of an Andre Ryu kind of approach to the repertoire that's accessible, right? And that's not, it's not, like I said earlier, it's dumbing down or whatever. That's rude. That's a rude way of saying it. It's just a way of making it more accessible and making it kind of... Well, I'll tell you, it's the beginning. It can be the beginning of, of you know, right. the beginning Milk of learning. Meats. Yeah, it's the beginning of learning a repertoire that, um, or being exposed to a repertoire that that does have the power to absolutely like move you and perhaps you'll be moved by something very simple and perhaps it'll be something more complex. But regardless, like, I mean, I know I introduced someone to the work of Dvorak and that person is forever grateful. And mm. I was surprised. I was like, wow, I did that. Huh? Yeah. But the, but the thing is like, for me, it's like, oh man, I'm so glad you know about this because come on. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and yeah, it's such a, it, if we could all just know of the beautiful things in the world, then how great would that be? Right. And that's, and that's the idea of spreading, spreading this enjoyment of live music both on the level of performing and on the level of listening and being an audience member. And you love Dvorak, which is why you shared it with that person, yep. you know, and you enjoy that. And so someone else could try it and enjoy it too. You know, it's likely that they'll enjoy it since you enjoy it. And even if they don't, even if it's not their cup of tea, they're not going to hold it against you that you and you shared something that you enjoy. Well, and, and I thought, and yeah, yeah, part of it is also expressing it in such a when showing them something and talking about why this specific moment speaks to you or what it is about. Like, I'll never forget like hearing a, that piece live that I had only heard in recordings a bazillion times and noticing that there was a give and take between the cello and the violin that was literally like exchanging breath, you know, where one person began mm. to breathe for the other. And that's the live concert experience, right? That's the, the moment yes. that you cannot capture um, in a recording because mm. it's breathing, it's alive, it's real, it's, it's, it's now. Yes. So. Yes. And Going back to what you were saying about robot Rachel, nuts and bolts, you know, focus rather than sort of the more interpretive in, intuitive uh, approach to the aria and the way that those are different. Um, I just find that we've talked about this. Have we talked about this on a podcast? I don't know if we have or not, Rachel, but we've talked about it in conversation for sure. I just don't know if it's been recorded, but um Oh, I know exactly where we were. We were at your your old apartment in Brentwood at the at the dining room table, and I think we had just had some of your delicious um, oh, dumplings. And um, we were yeah, and we were talking about um, context and how much effect context has on us when we're singing. And 
we have to be able to create the context. I can't walk into a theater and think, oh my gosh, this is airport and I'm, you know, going to be shot down and, you know, uh, in a place where I'm not, I'm already not feeling, I'm, you know, I'm getting over a cold and I'm not feeling great vocally. And you know what I mean? We have to be able to, to go into a headspace. Oh yeah. That was another one that I was going to share too with our friend, Nicholas Pallison. <laughs> he, he hypnotized me before a competition that we were both doing. And it was just an interesting experience because he didn't tell me he was doing that, but he did it when we were just chatting in the wings before I went out to do my, um, but the experience of, of performing while under hypnosis, which he had done actually once to me before, before an audition was so nice. It was so relaxing. It was so like, it was a context within itself, right? It was like this place. Of, it was like a bubble of like well, it's because you any, turn anything off, you do. You turn off the criticism. Right. 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 The just, left brain is sort of disabled and you go into this more touchy-feely place of... Yeah, you go into yeah, I just a place felt, where you can actually um, live instead of think of thinking about living. Analyze. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where I was. And it was it was interesting because those high notes that I had struggled with or whatever, they just came out, you know, it was like, I didn't, I just thought it and it happened. It wasn't like it required any effort on my part. It was very interesting. Well, so I, I think, I hope, I hope, I feel like that is such a useful tool to be able to call on that again, you know, like, and, and cause you never know when, you know, when those ridiculous memories or um, difficult you know, sort of things are going to come up in a time that's like really, really not helpful. <laughs> and, yeah. And to be able to, to call, you know, to, to bring yourself back to a center where you're able to function. And, yes. And emote and, and feel like truly present. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, huge. I think a lot of people have, sorry, go ahead. No, I just said it's huge. That's all. Yeah. I think a lot of people have trauma surrounding their creative abilities, whether they be, you know, drawing or, you know, creating anything, whether it's music or all of all, I feel like all people who have ever made a difference in whatever field that they've been given some talent in have in to some measure struggled because struggle is the birthplace of creativity. Like it's, you know, there's, it's just, it's just, we're built for it. I mean, mm. it's something that Brene Brown talks about a lot. It's like we are built as human beings to struggle, and and I think that um, that to expect something to be simple um, and to have the kind of you know I appreciated that Stephen Brown talked about this too. Is that he talked about um, you know whether fame happens to you overnight or it takes years? Like it still takes years. Like everyone mm -hmm. has struggled to achieve whatever it is that they've set out to achieve. Like I think about the story about Einstein, how he wasn't able to be taught in school because he probably had a learning disorder that made it so that he didn't perform well in the classroom. But instead of his mother saying to him, and who knows, maybe this is just folklore. And it was just one of those internet stories. But if it's not, <laughs> like, you know, in the story that I read, uh, you know, she didn't say to him, you know, your teacher said you're stupid and you have to stay home. It was your teacher said that you're so gifted that there's nothing that they can do for you. So I'm going to teach you. And mm. gave him a completely Context. different perspective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. About his own ability and, and that he had something to contribute and I think that 
being willing to to step out into the dark and you know to go on to that stage that reminded you of a difficult place and to step back out again even after you felt like you had you know not done what you had set out to do like that kind of courage cannot be bought <laughs> you know like it cannot be it's um it isn't the critic that counts mm. you get up and go back out into the arena and i think that yeah. um, as long as we're in the right arena <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, yeah, we're, well, that's a good, that's a good point too. Yeah. Um, well, and I, and it, it's interesting too, because I am, I am trying to do the hardest arias right now. Um, and that's, that's, that's a tricky place to be as far as getting psyched out by them, I guess. Um, but, uh, Steven said something that I thought was really interesting about music that's ego driven and just there to show off. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that even if something is written as ego driven, and this is and this is sort of my point is that like it can't be just music that you know completely speaks to you. I feel like you have to find the music. I feel like it's a in a way it's a cop out if it's if you're only singing something like something that is you because then I, I I don't know I just I just feel like you're not you're not really listening you're just regurgitating something that is already um is already a known thing I don't know if that makes any sense but I feel like mm. when we stretch and we do things that are challenging and it doesn't have to necessarily be musically challenging I mean I tell you what when I pick up Verta Verta and I start to work on it like I have to take a deep breath to take mm. a deep breath and it's like all right here we go and like it's a you know it's a it's its own kind of commitment um it's not necessarily musically as far as i mean it's a mezzo it's a dramatic mezzo role so it you know it does require some strength and stamina but it's not it's not you know the height requirement is not is not there for that piece but um, but everything else is, um, and, <laughs> yeah, and yet, you know, so I guess even though it's a character, you know, you, you add who you are to a piece and you have to, and I think that that's where opera has truth is when we actually can, can have a character that, that we, we come through. Yeah. So so uh, yeah so i think i i would need to talk to him more about that to actually see if i agree with him because i don't know if i do hmm. i i i believe that um a discussion could yield common ground <laughs> between the two of you it's true discussions are very important this is why it's what's so fascinating something i didn't say like he was talking about how we you know video makes everything immediate blah, 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 but it's like you know the podcast is really sort of it, it's a throwback we're going back to the old talk show you know the mm. old um style of you know listening by the radio and yeah it's kind of cool it is cool so i think I think my next goal is to um, 
to find a way to, to put myself into a different headspace, a reliable way that can get me into that more. Um, I mean, I, cause what I was experiencing was anxiety, you know, at my yeah, audition absolutely. and it, and it, it did not help. It did not do anything to help my interpretation or my no, voice. You no, know what I mean? no, the physiology of my body was, yeah, very on edge. And, um, and so what I'd like to discover, and I'm happy to share my discoveries as I go along is just a way to, to get myself into that space and in my head and in my body, but really my head is, is the more important part. Well, I think for that's, me. that's maybe going back to some of the hypnosis work would be, would be good. Yeah. Well, I actually did some hypnosis in the dressing room in my warm up room before I went out for that audition. And it just, I think because I, it's not something that I do daily or even weekly right now, I wasn't able to, tr to cross that bridge from yeah. my place of, of nervousness and, and that anxious energy into a calmer place. It was just, I was like, I was too far gone. Cause it I is, did, I did try. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. But I do. Yeah. And I think you're right that it is something that has to be sort of a weekly, if not, you know, several times a week practice to, mm -hmm. to sort of keep that place fresh. Like when I was getting ready to have Adam, my son, I was doing those daily things and I had, I had created a little, a little, it was like a little, I don't know if I told you about it, but in my mind, a little birth cocoon sort of thing. And, yeah. and, and it was something that, yeah, it was like, I, I was totally safe in there and I had a little moss covered bed for my, my new baby that was to come. And I had like, you know, I had all of these imagined things and I didn't have lights. I had fireflies. Like I had all of these sort of images that were, that were surrounding me to keep me comfortable and safe. And, and I think that, you know, if, I mean, anxiety is for real and, and if you're experiencing yeah. it, then, then having, having that place and developing that place, whatever it is for you is hugely, hugely important. Yeah. Yeah. So that's next. So cool. when the intense music comes along, there has to be intense, an intense cocoon. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, in a way <laughs> it's like before you even, you know, before you even enter the space, like if there's any way to get a picture of the space and imagine yourself going out there and at first you should feel nervous. Like at first you should feel those nerves because that means it's real to you. And then, and then you work on it so that you can actually be in that space and not have those nerves. And then you have it be a space, not only that you can handle, but that you want to be in. And, yeah. and I don't necessarily know that it doesn't sound like it was even necessarily completely because of the physical space as much as mm -hmm. it was, you know, what it emotionally, where it took you emotionally. And, and that's a, you know, it's real. We got to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is there are so many factors that go into our instrument and our performance. And, um, a lot of them are psychological. Some of them are physiological and we can't really know what, what it was that caused X, Y, or Z to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was singing the aria really well. And then suddenly I wasn't and in the very moment that I needed to be, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, huh. 
<laughs> yeah, and recognizing, you know, what the warning signs are for you. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, and I mean something that 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 um that Stephen mentioned about being getting really honest, right? Mm-hmm. Getting really honest is really hard. <laughs> All right. Well listen, you're awesome. You are too. Thank Yay. you. Okay. And um yeah, we'll talk again soon. <laughs>